The following is a presentation of the Bellip Sports Media Network. Fourteen twenty in the morning, fourteen minutes and twenty seconds, where the sports talk to get you through your daily commute. Hot takes, recaps, best bets, and a little humor to get your day going in the right direction. Sit back, grab your coffee, and let's get into it. All right, 1420 in the morning for this ninth day of November 2023. Today's show, as always, is brought to you by SeatGeek.com and the SeatGeek app. Use promo code 1420POD at SeatGeek.com today and save yourself 20 bucks on your first purchase over there at SeatGeek. Remember, we are part of the Belly Up Media Network. Go to BellyUpSports.com to save, or not to save anything, like and save yourself the uh, trouble going anywhere else to uh, check out all the great articles, other great podcasts as well over there at Belly Up Sports. And thank Thank you very much from each and every one of us at Belly Up Sports or, or at Belly Up Sports and the 1420 World Headquarters uh, for making us part of your day each and every day here at uh, 1420 World Headquarters. We appreciate it every, very much. Uh, anyways, forget everything that I said about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, it was a couple days ago on Tuesday, I think it was, saying that they were the, their big win over the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, coming back with uh, with Joseph Wall taking over in net, and there was going to be a turning point in their season. Turns out they just can't defend very well. They had a pretty rough uh, third three minutes of third period last night kind of showed who they were a little bit uh we'll talk we don't want to talk a whole bunch of Leafs hockey right now right now but they lose a uh, 6-3 last night in the game maybe they they should have won at home they gotta start stockpiling some wins at home uh they're easier win at home than on the road for some reason or maybe in leaf line might be a little bit different a little bit more pressure on the Leafs uh to win games at home uh there's a little thing yesterday before that game uh Willie Willie Stiles about Willie Nylander he took the the uh the uh, train to the game last night. It was quite funny. There was a guy sitting, there was a picture up on Twitter that there was a guy sitting right next to him in a Leafs hat that didn't uh, didn't shake uh, anything. Maybe he doesn't like Nylander or whatever it was, but a guy in a Leafs hat was sitting next to Nylander and didn't even notice that the guy was there. And it's kind of funny because Deanne and I were talking about that, about how uh, in bigger centers you can get away with doing that because most people don't know who you are. But if you're if you're going to a, a local watering hole or, or going on a bus or a subway in a smaller town, uh, everybody knows who you are and they're calling all their friends to come and see us. So it's kind of funny how uh, when you're in a major center, how the, the big stars can can kind of blend into the uh, just into the uh, in the environment. I guess it was kind of funny to watch. But that, yeah, that Leafs team they uh, they're frustrating. And I got an interview later on today. We'll get to that in half a second uh, as well with a guy from Toronto talk about the Leafs and how their season's going so far but last night i had a uh a great talk with Nick Zoraris of the Liberty Blue podcast. It's a Rangers podcast, and he's also part of the Locked On Flames and part of the Locked Up uh, Locked On Network of uh, of sports shows. You know, get a chance to check all those Locked On things. They're great. Every day they have something out uh, on your favorite teams. So make sure you check that out. But uh, Nick and I had a great talk about the Rangers and the Flames and the uh, polarizing situation that is the uh, Jonathan Huberto uh, situation with the Calgary Flames. He got benched. We talked about it yesterday a little bit when he got benched uh, in the, the Flames win over Nashville two nights ago. Uh, something, to, something to behold something to watch but it's one of those things that uh, Nick and I had a, a really good talk about but one other thing I want to talk about before we get to the interview I had with Nick is the uh the big game tonight and it's a big one here in the province of province of Alberta probably the biggest game in the history of uh of the NHL between a team with one win and a team with two wins because you have the San Jose Sharks playing host to the Edmonton Oilers uh should be a beauty of a game tonight I, I don't know how uh, why I'm so excited about definitely have that one tuned in when Dave and I are recording our show tonight because Dave's Dave's been a lot better for all everybody who was concerned about that he says he's feeling better ready to go tonight got his voice back uh, anyways but that game tonight should be an interesting one it's going to go one of two ways uh san jose either wins a close one as they did against philadelphia a couple nights ago and got their first win of the season or the oilers uh come out and the, uh mcdavid gets six points and dry saddle scores four goals and the uh, Edmonton Oilers end up winning a 10-1, Now, probably with the Oilers goaltending a 10-4 win because the uh, the San Jose Sharks have a pension of giving up uh, 10 goals as they've done that twice in the last week, once with Pittsburgh and once with the Vancouver Canucks. So that's going to be an interesting game to see how that all plays out tonight. And if the, if the Oilers don't win that game, there is going to be hell to pay because they, they, their farm team is just down in Bakersfield there. They might just uh, go to, to take the plane from San Jose. It'll probably be the boss. I'll probably find a Greyhound, the old loser 
Baker Cruiser take uh, the bus to uh, San Jose and just trade the team out for the guys in Bakersfield, and then the guys in uh, Edmonton just call call her good and switch things up before they end up uh, playing the Seattle Kraken next. But yeah, it should be an interesting game tonight. I, I hope I I hope the Oilers win. I do. I, they're they're too good not to win. Uh, their their team is it's flawed. We've talked about it a lot. I'm sure Dave and I'll talk about it a lot tonight. But it should be uh, should be fun to watch. And I like I, I hope that the uh, Oilers can pull it together because it'll be better if everything's going uh, better for for the uh, best player to ever play the game. So uh, we'll see how that all turns out. But anyways, here is our interview that we did yesterday with Nick Zoraris of the Liberty Blue Podcast, the Rangers Podcast, and the uh, Locked On Flames uh, over there at the Locked On Network. All right, we're happy to be joined by Nick Zararis of the Liberty Blue Podcast, as well as for the part-time co-host and video producer of the Locked On Flames Podcast. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm very well. We're in the thick of sports cal- the sports calendar. It's great right now. No, things are great. Things are uh, going really well uh, everywhere around, around the world of sports. The Rangers, your, your New York Rangers, are flying a little bit, 9-2-1 right now. A little bit of adversity that we'll talk about in half a second. But um, if this team stayed uh, stayed healthy, could they pick up this, uh, keep up this pace a la the uh, Boston Bruins, what they had going on last year? The formula is not the same. That would be the biggest reason. I would say no. The Rangers have gotten by largely this first month through defense and goaltending, which it's good that you can play that type of hockey. But it's really hard to win that way consistently in today's NHL, where if you're relying on your goaltending and your defense to win a lot of games, your margin for error is really small. And that's not to say you can't win with defense and goaltending. It's just a lot harder to win that way. So no team is going to play at, you know, like a 750 point pace like they are right now. But I think they've given themselves some room. And as you alluded to, they've got some bumps they're going to deal with. The goaltending situation kind of seems in flux based on the fact that both goalies are kind of dinged up at the moment. And they called up both AHL goalies to come up for the game against Minnesota tomorrow on Thursday. So they've gotten off to a good start. They've given themselves a little bit of room, some margin for error here. But I don't see them as the type of team that could go on the rut that the Bruins did last year. No. You have a, a team last night fresh off a 5-3 win over the Detroit uh, Red Wings last night. They had a 5 nothing lead. They tried to piss that one away in the third period, giving up three goals. Jonathan Quick, uh, not, you know, he's getting a little bit up there uh, in age. Not really his fault. But Artemi Panarin, a goal and assist added to his point total last night. I think he's up to 20 now. 12-game uh, point streak. A little bit behind uh, the Gretzky 51-point streak to start the season off from years ago. But uh, Panarin, he's a heck of a player. Is he the kind of guy that could put up 100, 120 points this year? No problem. He put up 90 last year, and he didn't really play that well. Like, in all honesty, if you asked any Ranger fan, they would have told you, I wanted more from Panarin last year. They they played him with Trocek for the bulk of the season. Then they moonlighted Kane, Tarasenko, Kako, Lafreniere on the right at various points. And the biggest problem they've had with Panarin since he got here is they haven't had a center for him to play with of his skill level. When you're playing with somebody who's as good as Panarin, you need somebody who can complement that, who's dynamic, a skater, a playmaker, and... Vinny Trocek's a really solid hockey player, but he's not dynamic. He's good at every phase of the game, but it's straight line, using his body, making plays with his physical ability, as opposed to his hockey IQ, which is why when you've seen Panarin at his best, it's when they have him and Fox on the ice at the same time, and they can really tilt the ice in the Rangers' favor. And for the first two, three weeks before Filippito got concussed last week, Hedo was doing a great job riding shotgun and Lafreniere playing the best hockey of his career, riding with Lafreniere, uh, riding with Panarin and with Hedo. Now it's a little bit different. He's still putting up the counting stats, but this is the best Panarin's played as a Ranger probably since the first year he got here, at least through the first months, because the point pace is outrageous. He He's not going to maintain this, but he should be well on his way to a 90 to 100 point season. One guy you brought up there is uh, Capo Caco there. He hasn't done really anything in his career. I think it's his fifth year now. He's a first-round draft pick, second overall. I think he went that year, 2019. And he really hasn't amounted to a whole bunch. He got demoted from the, the second line uh, for, for last night's game. And he has not uh, lived up the expectations. I think uh, you've got a couple of guys out. Lafreniere hasn't really done it either so far. Has the Rangers' recent... Um, like those two recent guys, have they been uh, somewhat of a disappointment to Rangers and the Ranger fans? They've definitely been viewed as disappointments, though I think the larger consensus is there's an understanding that the Rangers really tried to speed things up after they won the Kako lottery, where in a normal year, if in a normal year you pick second overall, you don't sign a Panarin, trade for Truba, trade for Adam Fox, 
all in the same offseason you pick second overall because those are aggressive moves of a team that's trying to win right away. And the Rangers, for better or for worse, didn't really take that rebuild mindset that seriously because they did one year of that. They took their medicine in 2018 where the team was really bad. They picked second overall. They drafted Kako, who he's a good defensive forward. I don't know if the counting stats will ever come, and you don't pick a defensive forward second overall as good as he is at defense and as good as he is on puck possession. You pick a guy second overall, you want at least 50 even strength points uh, from a winger, even if they are elite defensively to really be worth it. But yeah, the consensus would be they are both talented hockey players, but based on the opportunities they've been given and the type of team the Rangers are, frankly, they just haven't gotten a lot of run in situations. I mean, Lafreniere, maybe two minutes a game of power play in comparison to some other teams. Over the summer, I was looking into this. Lafreniere has played the least ice time of any first overall pick since Patrick Steffen, which is 98, 99, something like that. So that didn't turn out very well for Steffen. No, it didn't. He just has Lafreniere has not played a lot of hockey in comparison. And last point on this real quick, him and Kako both really got screwed by the pandemic because those are the most crucial years of their development. Your draft one, draft two years are really crucial for developing that arc. What we typically think of development as a linear arc getting up to a peak, you plateau out in your mid 20s and then about 30, it starts to go back down. The arc of their trajectory really got less steep because they lost a year and a half plus of development. And when they came back in that 56 game season, they both were getting less ice time than guys like Colin Blackwell and got, you know, guys who are all due respect. They're decent NHL hockey players, but if you pick a guy first, second overall, you got to let them take their lumps or they're never going to get better. I'm glad you brought that up because you, you look at some of these guys draft, you look at uh, Shane Wright out in Seattle there, and he basically, he, he missed it out on a year uh, not playing junior. And he went, he, he thought he was going to go uh, first overall, he ended up going fourth to Seattle. And now he's down in Coachella Valley. He hasn't played yet. Cause even his, his last year of junior, he didn't play a bunch of hockey. And you have a whole group of, uh, a, a group of kids, I guess you could say that did lose out a lot. I think that gets lost a lot with uh, the average fan saying, why is this guy doing this? And why is that guy doing that? Well, if you don't play for a year in, in like you said, in your development time, uh, you're going to lose out because playing the National Hockey League is hard. And if you lose out on a year, and it, it happens even with older guys, you see when they hold out for contracts and everything else, they they tend to uh, lose that step and, and never seem to get it back. It's hard to get back up to game speed. You think about Lafreniere, he, his draft year, they played the OHL season got canceled in March and he didn't play in a competitive hockey game until January 28th of the following year. He went nine months without playing in a competitive hockey game. The only things he was able to do were skate on his own. And that was his draft plus one year was a total, total loss. And the Rangers haven't done themselves any favors with the way they've handled these young guys, but it's not just the Rangers issue. There are large swaths of the 2020, 2021 and 2019 drafts who just aren't on their expected trajectories because they lost a year plus of their development. Uh, defenseman Adam Fox, he got dinged up last, uh, last week against uh, the Carolina hurricanes, knee on knee with uh, Sebastian Ajo. I I don't want to say it was dirty, but it wasn't clean. It was one of those ones. Like, Ajo's not a, he's not a dirty guy by any stretch of the imagination. And he, he uh, stuck up for himself. He got in a fight later on that game. One of those, one of those, I have to punch somebody. So I'm going to get punched. One of those deals. Uh, Fox has been all world Norris trophy kind of guy, no matter what, every year he's been playing. He's a great player. He was going to put up some great big numbers, uh, 11 points so far in 10 games. Is he the kind of guy that the Rangers have to find a way? Cause they, they piled up some wins, as you said, nine, two and one already. Um, can they find a guy who, who can step up, not to that level, but who can come up for the Rangers and be that, be that kind of a guy right now to say, okay, I have to, to get a power play point every other game kind of a deal. They've effectively tried to recreate it in the aggregate where they're going to play Truba and Miller more as a pair at five on five. They're going to lighten Lindgren's load. They brought in Eric Gustafson over the summer, who was supposed to be quarterback, your second power play, third defensive pair, 18-ish minutes a game, even strength. Had a really good season in Washington last year under Laviolette. Part of the reason they brought him in was Laviolette vouched for him and they needed somebody to fill that spot. Zach Jones was really good last night against Detroit. No jump, no very noticeable considering he was really bad in the game against Minnesota on Saturday night. So they're effectively trying to recreate it in the aggregate where Gustafson will get some power play work and they'll probably end up with some combination of Truba, Miller, and Zach Jones on that second power play unit if they're out there. But as far as even strength, 
there's not really any way to simulate what Adam Fox does or recreate it or even even try it through the work of like five or six guys. Because when you look at the impact of Fox on every single forward on the Rangers, on their scoring chances, the, the more detailed statistics, they just don't have the puck as much because when Adam Fox is on the ice, the Rangers have the puck and it's not feasible to try and they are going to have to fundamentally alter how they're going to play without him because he is that good. They have to adjust how they play without him because it, there is no way to recreate what he does. Even if the Rangers have a really good defense, one through six, it's one of the better units in the league when everybody's healthy. If Zach Jones is your seventh defenseman, that's a pretty good unit. But when you lose your best guy and probably your best player other than Shesterkin, you're really going to have to get creative in how you make up for that loss. You brought up True, but he's the kind of guy, I'm going off base here a little bit, but he's the kind of guy who hasn't put up huge uh, offensive numbers. Uh, he's had a, he'll get 30, 30, 35 points, maybe 40 this year kind of deal. Not like the 50 he got before uh, from coming over from Winnipeg and then getting the big contract, but team captain the whole bit. And last year he showed a little bit of uh, a little more grit than usual on that night when he's throwing his helmet across the ice and everything else was going on there. And I think that's kind of the kind of guy you want on your hockey team when, when push comes to shove and you say, hey guys, you know, like to uh, f around and find or find out kind of kind of deal and true was a great leader How, is he at his peak uh offensively wise or is he is this what you see with true but this he's a he's a gritty player and this is all you're gonna get and there's nothing it's wrong with what, 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 what you're getting it's, it's just is this the the ceiling that that true at it's complicated because in a vacuum the rangers traded for him with the assumption he was going to be the first pair right-handed defenseman they had no idea Adam Fox was going to be this good when they got him from Carolina. They thought Adam Fox would be a useful NHL player that he might have some offensive upside. If they had known Adam Fox was going to be one of the three or four best defensemen in the entire world, there's a good chance they don't trade for Truba at all in 2018. So it's a really interesting sliding doors comparison. He's never going to put up the gaudy counting stats the way he did in Winnipeg because he doesn't QB the first power play. That's, that's a good 10 to 15 points right there. If you're the quarterback of the first power play as a defenseman, that's 10 to 15 points minimum on a good team that you're losing from your totals. Truba, 30 points. The big issue, the only real issue with Truba is they're paying him way too much. Other than that, what he gives you, you take that. He's been a lot better this year than he was last year. He played the first 40 or so games of last year with a nagging back injury. Then after the All-Star break, tightened it up a lot better defensively. But he's been a lot better this year. He's been a lot more noticeable as well, making more, more noticeable defensive plays and just putting himself in a better position. Whereas last year he was kind of just looking for the big hit, which is great when you land it. But if you miss, you're giving your partner a two on one going behind you. The, uh, one of his teammates in Winnipeg, uh, Wheeler there, he's been okay. Like he hasn't yeah. done a whole bunch and everything else he got. Now that he's uh playing a little bit more. Cause he got, he's taking Kako's line on that off spot in that second line. Um, is he in the uh, the twilight of his career, the back nine per se? Because he pointless so far, I believe. I mean, maybe one, maybe two points so far. Hasn't got a ton of ice time. He was in the fourth line. He's going to get a chance to play. Uh, what's your thoughts on him? He's not going to hurt your team, uh, hurt the Rangers. Uh, you know, a little bit of playoff experience coming out the Winnipeg went anywhere most years. But he's a solid, solid player. What's your thoughts on him? Amen. If Blake Wheeler's your ninth or 10th best forward, you're a pretty good hockey team. That's been my mindset the entire summer. I, For what they're paying him, what they're asking him to do, he's perfectly adequate for that. He's better, frankly, than a lot of the guys the Rangers have used in that type of role in years past. And it makes the rest of the lineup better because it's putting guys in roles they are better situated for. If Blake Wheeler's playing third line for you, that means Barkley Good that means Barkley Goodrow's on your fourth line. That means Jimmy Vesey's on your fourth line. And those guys both fill useful roles. They definitely have utility. But when you're playing those guys further up in your lineup and in situations where they're going to have to chip in goals occasionally, it's not as great. Wheeler hasn't done a lot, but he hasn't been a net negative. He doesn't cost a lot of money. And they value the intangibles he's br he brings. So at the very least, he's better than what they've had. I can't really complain, even if he's not doing a whole lot. You you bring up uh, VC there, Jimmy VC, and he is he's that little kind of little rat rodent who just won't go away. He came with some pretty big big fan for coming in the league, coming out of college, signed with then he played in Boston, then he played for the Leafs, and then he just won't go away with the Rangers. It seems every time he, he turns around, he's back with the Rangers somehow, some way. But his career didn't really. He's made he's made a career. He's made some money. He's not getting around there. Like I, I'd trade him any day, obviously. But his career has didn't really take off with the notoriety he was getting coming out of college. 
No. Uh, the one thing I point out to everybody when we talk about Jimmy Vesey is he, the year he won the Hobie Baker, two teammates split the vote. There were two guys on Boston College that year that finished second and third. They played on the same line. They had very comparable stats. They split the vote. That's why Jimmy Vesey won the Hobie Baker that year. He's a solid hockey player. He's carved out a nice niche for himself as a defense first guy. He never really had the goaltending, not the goaltending, the goal scoring prowess that he showed his first year in New York where he got a lot of ice time. He played some power play. He, he was a solid NHL player. The Rangers shedded some salary when they traded him to Buffalo. Then Buffalo waived him. He went to Toronto, to Vancouver, to the Devils. And the I Rangers brought him. He was in Vancouver, actually. Yeah, that's a good He point. was a waiver claim. Yeah. Toronto put him on waivers. He went to Vancouver. He went to the Devils. And he took a PTO with the Rangers last year. And he played himself into a contract. And he got a two-year extension. Not a lot of money. But he's a useful hockey player. He doesn't cost a lot. And, he, again, he's better than some of the guys the Rangers have used in that role in the past. Guys like Ryan Reeves. Guys like Ryan carpenter where you know what you're getting when you bring ryan reeves on your team and it's not hockey it's not for hockey reasons it's not anything right now yeah well you, you look at what, what, he, what he's putting out for yeah. i'm a leafs guy like he, you look at what reeves is doing with the leafs and it, it like even that that little situation i had last week last week with marshawn uh and he nobody did anything when and that's the one reason why why Revo's is there is to because we we talked about it on, on the show before we got, got on the air that uh, Matthew Kachuk uh, ran rampant through the playoffs last year doing whatever he wanted against every team they played against and uh, nobody was there tapping him on the lace say hey don't do that and that's what Reeves was going to do and we told, let's let's get into that a little bit like is there a guy in the Rangers that like with, with a little bit of snot a little bit of sandpaper to their game come playoff time this uh, this time around they lost the first round last year like so let's not let's not say the Rangers are going to the Stanley Cup Finals by any means. But they have a really good team, but they need – I think they, they don't uh, have that snot guy, that sandpaper guy to go and give a guy a, a tap and lace to say, hey, fuck around and find out. That's been the issue forever with them. They have really good players, guys like Kreider, Zabinijad, Panarin, Fox. Those are really talented. All They will be – they would be the best player on most of the teams in the entire – not every team, but most teams in the NHL. Really good hockey players. But Kreider shows that snarl in very small doses. Jacob Truba shows that snarl, but it's always in situations where the game's already over. He, more than one occasion last year, massive hit, fight. The game's already over. We're losing by three. We're losing by four. It's great that you wanted to send a message going into the next game, but you got to do that when the game still has a chance of being going the other way. Like in game seven against the devils, he lined up Meyer, took his head off and the game was three, nothing at that point with four minutes to go. If you want to send a message, you got to do it when the game's still salvageable. Otherwise it just kind of looks one like first shift. Kind of yeah, yeah, exactly. If you want to send a message, you got to do it when the game's still hanging in the balance, not when it's over. The one guy I will emphasize, Will Cooley, the guy, second round pick two years ago now, He's been noticeable, and he brings a little bit of that. He has that jam. He likes to bang in the corners. He's noticeable in that respect, but hasn't been in any any tussles yet. I don't think the Rangers have a fight yet, actually, now that I think about it, but that's not really part of their game, and it has been an issue at points where they don't have a guy who's willing to go down low, take those cross checks in the back around the net mouth, or win those pucks in the corner, and that's been a real issue at times for them because they're a skilled team. It has come up repeatedly different coaches different groups of stars and it has been an issue that it seems that that people forget about that like i know the game has changed a lot obviously like i i don't know how old you are but i know how old i am i remember when the game had uh, a lot more grit to it and there was a lot there was guys who were just there to fight and i'm glad they got rid of that where there's the stage fights and everything else because it was no part of the uh, the game should, should have that anymore but there was all at the teams that end up winning the, the stanley cup the last few years they had just enough grit just enough meanness just enough hey look out don't don't screw screw with our guys we'll go and get your guy like you look at that that vegas team that went last year their defense was big and mean and they didn't mind being big and mean and a lot of teams i think they they still need that snarl in their game that they did a lot of teams don't have there's not a lot of players in the league that have that that little bit of grit like you you look at mckinnon though like he he's a guy in colorado he has that enough uh pent-up frustration i guess in his in his game all the time he 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 seems like he's half a second away from from scoring a goal and punching the face in the same 
in, in the same breath all the time. The Rangers don't seem to have that guy, like you said. And there's a lot of teams that don't have that. And, and with the way the game is now with the small-ish forwards, I think that uh, a lot of teams would be more inclined to go and get a guy because you look at just across the river there in New Jersey, they got those huge boys who are highly skilled, highly talented, but they're little. They're little, and I, like, and they're easy, not easy to get off the puck, but they would be pretty, like, come playoff time, I don't know if they're going to have that kind of uh, much success. You saw it against Carolina. The way you stop a fast team like the Devils is you grind them into a pulp. You dump the puck in, you make their defensemen turn their back to you, and you forecheck them into oblivion. Carolina got them out of that series in five games last year because the Devils were not prepared for that. They were just in a track meet series with the Rangers where they spent seven games trading scoring chances going up and down, and whichever team put more of those in the net won that given night. And then they got into a series against Carolina who wants to be in a rock fight because they don't have the high-end talent of some of the teams they're going to play up against. They don't have the elite goaltending you might need to steal a game against a better team. There's The biggest need is grit with utility because it, it's all on a spectrum. Like There's no disputing Ryan Reeves is the toughest player in hockey right now. But other than being tough, he's not giving you anything. You need a little something more than just that toughness. You you mentioned Kachuk. We've talked about McKinnon. Nikita Kucherov comes to mind where you are – Brad Marchand comes to mind where you can put up 70 to 100 points and you can also hold your own where guys won't mess with you. And if you need to, you will punch someone in the face because that's what your team needs at that given moment. The Rangers don't have a guy like that. You talked about the track, but I went to a junior hockey game here in Lethbridge where I am, uh, and it seemed like it was all the same player. Like, they're all the same kid that are coming out of junior now, and they go up and down the ice, highly skilled, can skate like nobody's business anymore. But the, it just seems like you just have the exact same player with very little um, very little of a uh, uh, personality, I guess is one way of putting it. And do you find that a lot with a lot of rookies that you see coming into the league or a lot of guys in training camps that you watch? That it's, it's, it's the same kid doing the same thing, more skilled than they've ever been, more skilled than, than, than you, you, you'd ever think, and faster and everything else. But they're, this, they're, they're, they're very cookie cutter nowadays. Do you find that? I find that's true based on where guys kind of come from, like what junior league they play in or what league in Europe they play in. That I definitely noticed there's a similarity in guys who typically you come from the WHL, you're used to a little bit more of that up and down, less defense type of style versus the Q, which is a little tighter. And then in Europe, it's entirely different because bigger ice surfaces, it's a little bit of a slower pace game. So I definitely think that's true as far as where you play your developmental years, like 15 to 18. That I definitely find true where based on where you spend those years is typically the archetype you're going to fall into yeah no i just i, I just noticed that the last couple weeks back I'm like oh it's, it's the exact same thing and, and it was both teams just doing this like a, yeah they all play against and that's and that's another thing like these, these guys play each other with uh, or against each other so much over the years and then with each other with all the u18 and the, the this championship and that championship and they're all they're all friends so there's not very much of the like i said earlier the the snarl against each other because they're all buddies now when it yeah. can compare it to what it was 30 years ago when everybody hated each other and they weren't uh, going out and smoking cigars and and drinking with each other after uh, after the game like it's, it's just a lot different um we talked a little bit about the uh the rangers goaltender uh with their situation i thought it was a great pickup going out and getting uh stanley cup winner uh john Jonathan Quick, it can't hurt. Like it can't hurt having that kind of a pedigree on the bench. And he got thrown into uh, a game last night, and uh, he's put up some really good numbers so far. What's your thoughts on Quick? I was very wrong about him. Over the summer, I said I wasn't particularly interested. He looked pretty, just frankly, bad last year. That last year was his worst year, and uh, was the latest in a five-year period of continued downward trending. Of okay, he's a goalie. He's thirty-five. I don't see it anymore. I'm very glad I was wrong about that. The Rangers tightening up defensively has done wonders for him. He had an atrocious preseason. His save percentage in the preseason was 805. So the fact he's playing this well in the regular season, I don't want to say it came out of nowhere because obviously this is a, a, a world, one of the 64 best goalies in the world because he's in the NHL, but I didn't expect him to play this well. All you ever need from your backup goalie on a playoff team, if you can flirt with a 905, that's all I need. That's really all I need from a goalie. And if Quick was is going to do that, that's all you can ask for. 
Well, that's one of those things, like I talk about it all the time. I'm, I'm a goalie hugger. There's no getting around that. Like you, if you stop all the easy ones and a few of the hard ones, that's all you can really ask for out, out of a goalie when it, when it comes down to it. Cause a lot of teams don't have uh, one goalie, let alone two. There's a little problem up there, up there in Edmonton, not too far from where I am. They got going on there. What an absolute disaster that team's turned out to be. But um, the, uh, long ways to playoffs obviously and is there like what are what are the what do the rangers need do you think you talked about some snarl is there like what do they need elsewhere to maybe uh, make a little bit of a run this year separate themselves from from everybody else in in that eastern conference they probably need one more forward you know that really seems like me said this is the best rangers team on paper when everyone's healthy in quite a while if they are running blake wheeler as their ninth forward if you want to bring in one more guy and bump Blake Wheeler down to the fourth line and then Tyler Pitlick or Blake Barkley Goodrow or Jimmy Vesey's a healthy, sure. Other than that, you're not changing anything else particularly. I don't think they're going to be in a situation where they're going to be able to take on anybody particularly expensive unless they're going to unless they're going to pay a draft pick or two to facilitate a third team taking some salary. I know I I've tinkered with the idea of Adam Henrique in that type of role and moving Blake Wheeler down, somebody a little older but expensive, but defense first, can give you a little bit of offense. That's kind of the profile of the third, the forward they need. They, I understood what they were doing in bringing in Kane and Tarasenko last year, but the problem with those types of moves is those are talented hockey players and they were already a talented team, but they weren't conscious of the fit of those guys. Kane put up okay counting stats. Tarasenko put up okay counting stats, but they reconfigured the entire team to accommodate those two guys. And that was part of the reason they lost to the Devils was they didn't have any of that real synergy you need going into the playoffs. It's it's always the team. Exactly. You can only have so many guys who need the puck to be effective. When Kane and Tarasenko don't have the puck, they are giving you nothing. They need more well-rounded guys. And that's the thing. If they're going to go with the group they've got, they have, Add one more guy, you keep Kako and Lafreniere in that top six, you bump Wheeler down, or if you want, you go get a luxury fourth liner. You go get this year's equivalent of a Tanner Janot, a Barkley Goudreau, that type of guy from teams of years past. If you go get like an Andrew Cogliano type from the Colorado team that won the cup a couple of years ago, that type of guy, sure. But the Rangers don't need anything crazy. They have played really well so far. It's just a matter of when these guys get back from their injuries, how healthy are they going to be? How much time are they going to need to get back up to what they were playing at? And then, you know, it's a long season. Weird things happen. But this is the best I've felt about a Rangers team in quite a while uh, on paper and in terms of results. So what you're saying is you're not going out and grabbing a uh, Phil Castle by any means. I I will, I will always have a soft spot for Phil. I like Phil. Phil. Guy, I like Phil a lot. Yeah. I Phil the guy. That's not the worst idea in the world. He's only going to cost you seven twenty-five. He said, "I don't care if I play every day." There are worse guys to have as the thirteenth forward than Phil Kessel. I would not be opposed to that in the slightest. He is somebody they could afford right now. The issue they have with Fox being on IR is they're not accruing cap space right now. So every day that Fox isn't and Fox isn't eligible to come back till I think the week of American Thanksgiving. But in that time, they're not accruing cap space every single one of those days. So that's going to take away from who they could potentially claim, who they could potentially trade for down the road or even bringing in a guy right now. That cap, uh, it's every team. They got to do find some way to do, to do some with that. Cause it's it's. Uh... I don't want to say it's ruining things, but you're so hamstrung to make hockey trades and make deals and everything else because of the cap. I wouldn't be like, there's there me and my co-host of the other show that I do. We, we talk about the, the salary cap in, in all the sports. And there, one of the things I thought that hockey should do is if you, if you draft and develop a guy, you should be able to pay him whatever you want. And doesn't, it doesn't go against your cap. That was just the one. Thought that we that, had. Yeah. Just, just why not? You know what? If you, if you like, you look what happened to the Chicago Blackhawks after they went Stanley cups, they were forced to get rid of guys that they drafted and developed. And it's it's not fair to be penalized because you're successful, you know. And it, it it doesn't make any sense why they can't come up with an idea to do something like that because it just it it, it doesn't ruin uh, it doesn't ruin things, but just makes things not as good as it could be. I completely agree with you. The NBA has that. They have what's called bird rights, where the Celtics refuse to let Larry Bird be a free agent, and they talk the NBA into making a carve-out for this, where when you draft a guy, you can go over the salary cap to keep a guy if you drafted him and he's been on your team X number of years. So that's a workaround. Gary's been saying the cap's going up for 
my entire life. And maybe we're going to go up two or $3 million this year. That's that? one more. That's one more player on every team. Maybe. Right. That's a, that's 600 grand for how many guys, right? It's, it's really exactly. nothing like it's, it's going to spread out and it's not, not a big deal. Uh, we'll get off the range for a second, get, get on another team that you, that you cover and you follow with the Calgary flames. They're, they're just up the, the road for me. Um, that set is an absolute, not a, it's not as bad as Edmonton, which is a little bit further up the road for me, but Calgary's in a, in a situation now. And I, I quite like what happened last night with uh, Jonathan Huberto getting put on the bench and the coach said, you know what? Yeah, I lost with you. We can lose without you. Have us have a seat, tattoo your ass on the pine here, and we'll uh, we'll figure things out in the third period last night. The Flames scored three goals, and they ended up winning the hockey game last night. Yeah, one was an empty netter by Caudry. But so what's your thoughts on that train wreck that is uh, the Jonathan Huberdel situation up in Calgary? It's fascinating. He's one of the most talented hockey players in the entire world. He has elite IQ. He knows what he needs to do with the puck. But ever since he got to Calgary, it just doesn't look right. No matter who they play him with, and believe me, they tried every single forward on the team last year. Every single – Huberto played with, I want to say, 18 different forwards over the course of last season. They have tried everything in the world to try and get him going. They changed coaches. They are changing their tactics, what they're asking their forwards to do defensively to encourage him to create more offensively. But I do think there's a real argument that Huberto is a really good player, but he is a passenger. When you go back and look, and I was reading somebody's work about Huberto in relation, they wrote it right when the uh, the Flames traded Kachuk for him, about how Barkov is the one who does a lot of the legwork. Barkov was the one who would carry the puck into the zone and defenses would cue in on, which gives Huberto a lot more space to operate. And Huberto doesn't have that natural person to play with who's going to carry the puck into the zone. Calgary is one of the most dump and chase heavy teams in the entire league. Even if Daryl's not the coach anymore, that's still the case. And they haven't found a way to utilize Huberto's skill set. And it's part of what I was talking about before with the Rangers, where you can take somebody who's really talented. But if you drop them in an environment with skill sets that don't complement theirs or strategies that don't complement theirs, it's like asking a fish to climb a tree. It, It A fish is really good at swimming. It can't climb the tree. That's what it is with Huberto. He's a good hockey player, but what the Flames are asking him to do, he's not particularly good at, and it's why it looks so uncomfortable. You know, you you find us. I remember when that trade happened a couple summers ago. There, and you're like, holy! Okay, you, you kind of heard it. There was rumblings that, that Kachuk wasn't coming. You know, didn't he ask for a trade? Because he didn't ask me. So I'm not. I'm not signing. So you better do something with me. And then when when the trade happened, it was a Friday night, and I remember going, "Geez, that's a good deal." And then you go, "Huh? Why did they offer their leading score?" Like it just seemed, it just seemed that Florida was like, like way too like, yeah, here you go. Here, you, here's our guy. You can have him get no problem. It just seemed a bit odd to me that, that, that was the deal that uh, was made. And the, I, I, conspiracy theory, you know, podcast, a little bit of clickbait here and there, but it's, uh, the thing with Huberto, is it maybe a situation where, yeah, he's really, he's really, really good at hockey. He's a fantastic player. Is it maybe a situation a little bit, you know what? I like it and I'm getting paid a lot, but I don't like it that much. It's always tough when you start getting into those types of questions because you don't know. You, you, don't. you can never know what's going on in a guy's head. He's trying. He's engaged when he's on the ice. He's just not making good plays. One of the things that was in that uh, that detailed breakdown I was talking about before was just how he receives the puck and the type of position his hands are in when he receives the puck. Something he's really gotten into a bad habit of doing is receiving the puck with his legs in a way where he can't skate. He's receiving the puck flat-footed, and he can't make a play without pivoting, and that's giving yourself away. When you receive the puck flat-footed, you don't have an opportunity to make another play other than moving the puck, which allows the defense to adjust and account for that. And it's just those bad habits creep in. The bad habits creep in. You start losing your confidence, which has definitely been part of it as well. His confidence is shot at this point. That's a real part of it that's difficult. It's, it's, It's really hard to try and quantify and understand on a hockey level what your confidence does to you. But a guy who doesn't feel good about his game is going to have a harder time than a guy who feels good about their game. It's just it's one of those things that's baked into sports that you have to do whatever you can to try and find what's going to get him going. And the Flames have tried pretty much everything they can. 
You know, that's the thing. Like, you don't lose your skill level. And that's with anything yeah. in life. Really. You, you, you lose that space, that, that six inches or eight inches between your ears where, where it can really go south on you. And I think that's the thing with, with Huberto. And, like, it, the, the thing is, it's early in that contract. Like, they're only two, yeah. two and a half months in or a month and a half in, sorry, to that contract. And it's eight years. Like, eight years of that. Like, most of these contracts on the back end, they don't really work out anyways. But uh, this is a situation where maybe just, like, but let's uh, – this is what we got already. I don't know if the Flames can cut ties right off the bat and maybe make a deal somewhere and see if we can can't get something else done. Because if the the the, the start is bad, the the, the end's going to be even worse. It's a fascinating situation. There's a real argument the Flames should have hard reset two summers ago instead of getting roster players like Uyghur and um, Huberto in return for Kachuk. They should have asked for draft picks and prospects. There's a real argument they should have started unwinding their position this summer, trading Hannafin, trading Lindholm, trading Backlund, and kickstarting a genuine rebuild attempt. No team in the NHL is going to be able to withstand losing two 100 point players in one offseason. None. They lost Gaudreau and Kachuk. If any team in the league, if the Oilers lost McDavid and Dreisaitl, if the Leafs lost Nylander and Matthews or Marner and Matthews, whatever, any team loses 200-point guys, you're never going to be as good as you were the year before. It's just not It's not doable. There's maybe 15 guys who record 100 points in a season, and that's because the scoring is so – it's a lot easier to score now. They were in a position where they could have gone hard reset, said we're going to take a step back for a year or two and then we're really going to attack it 2024 2025 and that's when we'll start using our draft picks to trade for stars trade for guys with more expensive contracts instead they opted for give us the sugar hot give us the sugar high let's put a band-aid on this let's just try and squeak into the playoffs and then if we get in the playoffs anything can happen i know part of that was them trying to get the new arena taken care of and they couldn't really do that if they were a really bad team so the flames have also that's part of the calculus for the flames unfortunately for their fans is it's not just about the hockey results some of this is just the ownership cares more about having three it, yeah. home. Yeah, they care more about having three home playoff games in the first round if they get to seven games than they do about winning the Stanley Cup, which is unfortunate because it's a dedicated fan base. They've been top 10 in attendance 15 of the last 16 years, something like that. And they've only made the playoffs, you know, seven of those 15 years. It's a really dedicated fan base. <coughs> the problem you got in, in Calgary has been this way for a long time. And Vancouver had the same thing. <laughs> is that you have mediocrity just brings mediocrity and and that's that's what that's where the flames are right now they're just mediocre and and they they're, they got nothing going for them because you a mediocre team gets you a middle or middle of the run draft pick and, and then nothing else right and you it's hard to draw draw good free agents because you're mediocre yeah you can offer them lots of money but they, they, these guys all make a lot of money no matter what and they want to win somewhere mediocrity breeds mediocrity a hundred percent. That's been, and that's the thing. The Flames' goal has just been to be be mediocre. The way they've built this team, they have a lot of talented hockey players, but they are more concerned with just getting the playoffs. It's not okay. We're good. How can we get better? It's we're good, and that's it. There is no second part of that sentence. Yeah, and the, the, like you talked about the new building, now they have a chance because it's it's science sealed and delivered now where the new building's coming. It, it might not be a bad thing to maybe sell off some parts and pieces and then build something and advertise. You know what? We might not be good now, but when the new building is good, new new building, new look, new attitude, or we want to market it, it might not it might not be a bad idea like right now to say, eh, you know what? We got a rookie head coach. He can deal, he'll be the fall guy, and uh, like three years from now, he won't because he probably won't be around. Like it's just what the way it is, and. Uh, it might be a good spot right now for the flames to say, you know what? It's time to, uh, time to break things down a little bit. They I don't know how you do it with, with Audrey at, at seven and a half. And then you, you have Huberto at, at 10 and a half, but yeah, there, there it is. I mean, it's, you have those are your placeholders. Those two guys are your placeholders. You can turn Lindholm and Hannafin into two first round picks prospects, maybe a second, a third, etc. You can turn those two guys into genuine assets to kickstart your rebuild. You can turn Zadorov into a third or a fourth at the deadline. You can turn Tanev into a third or a fourth at the deadline. That's five more assets than you have right now if you do all of that, if this season continues to go the way it is. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think like they they, they thought they had a team and then they 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 didn't because when uh, when when Goudreau, and things aren't going so well for old Johnny Hockey no. in Columbus. He got he got benched. Maybe they should just trade. Uh, Goudreau back to, to Calgary for straight up for uh, for Huberto might might not, might not be a bad change of location for the two of them. Who knows?
it's crazy to think that uh, like the, the the one thing you, you as you get a little bit older in life, uh, the grass isn't always greener. It's just different, and I think Goudreau's finding that out. That was a weird situation because everybody assumed Flyers are Devils, hundred percent. He's a Jersey guy. He wants to be yeah. on the East Coast, and the Devils didn't make a competitive offer. The Flyers never made an offer. The Islanders never made an offer. And he looked around and said, Columbus, lower taxes, and that's why he's in Columbus. That's really it. That's the only reason in my mind he's not a flame right now is he thought there was going to be a better market for him. There wasn't. And he had to settle because he didn't want to look stupid going back to Calgary after stringing them out like that. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Nick, this is a lot of fun. Uh, tell everybody what you got going on. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick Zararis, uh, host the Liberty Blue podcast, which is Ranger stuff, Locked on Flames, which I'm going to record as soon as I get off of this call, <laughs> where we cover the Flames every single day. Um, I'm also starting this week doing the Locked on NHL pod, uh, power rankings every week, where we'll talk all 32 teams in the NHL, rank them. I do giant stuff. I do jet stuff. I am a sports media um What's the word I'm looking? Swiss Army knife. There we go. I couldn't think of the expression. I do I everything. I was gonna say whore, but you want to say Swiss Army knife? That's fine. <laughs> hey, I get paid. I get paid okay to do this. It's not just. It's not just about the money. I do genuinely love talking about sports. No, uh, this lot that, that locked on network. They, the way you guys do things there with everything that's going on in sport. Like I'm a, as you can see with the crap behind me, I'm a, yeah. a, a Yankee dork for from way back. And I was like that locked on every day. That it's a such a great. Uh, an easy thought process. Like, it's so simple. This is your team every day. Here it is. It's No, it's fantastic. Locked on. It's it's unbelievable. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, no, so thanks very much for doing this. I, I didn't know you were doing another show tonight, but uh, no, make sure you guys uh, will do something uh, maybe around Christmas time, see how the, 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 the two teams are doing that you're following. Uh, we'll go from there. Uh, thanks a lot for doing this, Nick. Of course. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. We'll talk later. Later. There it is, Nick Zararis of the uh, Liberty Blue podcast and the Locked On Flames podcast to uh, talk about the Rangers and the the, the polarizing situation with, John, with uh, Jonathan Huberto. It should be interesting to see how that all turns out. It's up to him now uh, how he comes out that next game out. I think it's tomorrow night against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, and you know the Leafs aren't uh, they can't defend very well, so it might be a night for for Huberto to go out and do something. But yeah, you just never know how that's all going to be put together because it's uh, it's unbelievable what they, they got going on. And for like I said yesterday, to uh, to, to bench him was a, a gutsy move by uh, rookie head coach Ryan Huska. But you know that's the only that's the only uh, play he's got in his bag to go out and do that. You can't you can't sit while well, you could sit him in the stands. Is the, is the next uh, the next thing maybe embarrass heck out he wants to play and, and show a little bit of pride. But no, thanks thanks once again. To Nick for coming on the show, and we, uh, we'll uh, have to have him on later on to talk some uh, Rangers hockey once again. That Rangers seems really, really good. They just uh, put parts and pieces here, here and there. But like we talked about the uh, the salary cap situation, it's got to they got to figure something out. Old uh, old Jerry Bettman, he's got to figure something out to get to some teams out of that salary cap hell because yeah, it, you, you get you you do get some parity within the league, but it, it's, it's I think it's just a bad look for for a league that's trying to uh, always trying to find its way and and look like one of the big boys and they kind of they stumble and fumble away uh, around the thing. So, anyways, here's uh, a word from our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the ticketing app for fans like the High Five Strangers guy. Game-winning interception, first down, just a nice, solid tackle. If you're in arm's length, you will be swapping skin with this extrovert. You see, he knows SeatGeek got him a great deal on tickets, so we can focus on what he does best, smacking palms. SeatGeek handles the tickets to sports, concerts, and more, so fans can fan. Once again, thank you very much to SeatGeek for uh, sponsoring the 1420 Sports Bar Podcast and 1420 in the morning. Uh, remember to use promo code 1420POD over at SeatGeek.com or the SeatGeek app today and save yourself 20 bucks on your first purchase. Let's get to uh, some birthdays and uh, on this days and get you guys out of here. Uh, here we go. On this day and night. 1996, Evander, the real deal, Holyfield upset Mike Tyson with an 11th round knockout in Las Vegas, Nevada to regain the WBA heavyweight title leading up to the fight dubbed finally Tyson was a five to one favorite over Holyfield and came out uh, trying to end it early and sent Holyfield towards the ropes with a, uh, a solid right to to uh, the head that, but that's the last time in the fight that Tyson would stun Holyfield in the sixth round Tyson would be cut by a headbutt the referee would call accidental and then later in the round Holyfield caught Tyson 
with a left that would send him to the map for the only for only the second time in his career to that point. Holyfield continued his dominance in the 10th round, basically leaving Tyson out on his feet. The fight was stopped in the 11th round after Holyfield landed another brutal uh, extended group of, of uh, punches, combinations, everything else, giving Holyfield one of the most famous upsets in the history of boxing and also making him the first person since Muhammad Ali to win a heavyweight championship three times on this day in 1996. It wasn't the most, uh, the, the the longest uh, or the most famous fight of the two. Remember the, uh, the, the the rematch, Holyfield Tyson 2 was the one where uh, Mike Tyson took a bit of a chunk out of uh, Holyfield here and, and the whole thing. Everybody knows all about that one. But Holyfield was such a great warrior back then. Like He came in a little bit uh, uh, a little bit thinner, I guess, with everything else and compared to some of the other heavyweights that were kicking around at the time. But, oh, I loved Holyfield, the real deal, Evander Holyfield. And those uh, boxing was so great back in the day before MMA took over. And I used to be a, a bit of a boxing, uh, I don't want to go as far as saying nerd, but I would w- watch the big fights all the time. And uh, on this day, uh, Holyfield uh, beats Mike Tyson. Now, yeah, boxing, it's, and it, they still get really good crowds when they, there's a big match, but the big match is so few and far between, and you don't know who the, the big deals are anymore because it got, got really corrupt and the Don King and everything else. But yeah, anyways, you know, I'm starting to ramble a little bit here at 14, 20 in the morning. Uh, who do we got for birthday today? Happy 44th birthday to Adam Dunn, born on this day in 1979 in Houston, Texas. Dunn was drafted out of New Caney High School uh, in, out of Texas in the second round of the 1998 Major League Amateur Draft, 50th overall by the Cincinnati Reds. Dunn made his Major League debut on July 20th, 2001, going one for three in the Reds' 5-3 loss to the Florida Marlins. But the best was yet to come for Dunn as he would go on to set a National League rookie record for the most home runs in a month by a rookie with 12. Two 2004 was the most productive in Dunn's career where he hit 46 home runs and had 102 RBIs. Dunn was no stranger to strikeouts, uh, to striking out as he led the league four times with strikeouts with 195 in 2004, 168 in 2005, 194 in 2006, and a whopping 222 times in 2012 with the White Sox. Dunn finished his career, his 14-year career, with 462 home runs, 1,168 RBIs, 2,379 strikeouts with stops in Cincinnati, Chicago with the White Sox, Washington, Arizona, and Oakland. Dunn was inducted into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame in 2018. That boy didn't mind striking out. He walked a lot too. It was, it was all or nothing with Dunn. He was a strikeout, home run, walk. You know, it's crazy to to think that that's what it was. That's what baseball is a lot now. But he was a he was ahead of his time, I guess you could say, with uh, the way baseball is played now and everything else. But anyways, got a lot going on here at uh, fourteen twenty World Headquarters. Thank you very much to once again to Nick for joining us yesterday. Uh, and then doing the, pro- the thing today, and then thank you. Uh, make sure you check out the uh, interview we have with the flame with the uh, the Canucks with Jeff Patterson. Fantastic show. The guy was such a professional, and Nick was great too. Uh, later on today, I got an interview with Kyle Cushman of the Score. He's the associate hockey news editor for the Score and everything else. So that should be a good talk. Talk about the Leafs. See how that's going. Uh, should be a lot of fun talking. And uh, I don't know if we're going to bash the Leafs, but I got I got my opinions of what's going on with that team. So that should be a lot of fun to talk some Maple Leafs hockey. Old uh, old Jakey's keeping us busy. Old Jake the, the Turn. He's keeping me busy here at 1420 World Headquarters. We appreciate all the work that he he does for us. And then me and Dave are recording tonight. Dave's uh, off the IL, ready to go, ready to uh, flap his gums as only Dave can do on Thursday night. We usually get into it a little bit. I don't know how much Dave's going to get into it because he's uh, been ill and everything else. But we'll uh, we'll try to entertain the masses, anyways. That's all I got for uh, for this morning. We will talk to you guys all tomorrow. And uh, remember, it doesn't matter where you are; it's who you're with. Have a good day, folks, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You just listened. 1420 Sports Bar Podcast. Four beer of the sports talk and a whole lot more. We are part of the Belly Up Media Network. Let's get into it.